0: Well, good morning. Thank you very much. Um, It's wonderful to be here. Um, Yeah, we talked earlier on this year, Johnny and I, and said we wanted to mix it up a bit uh, rather than get sort of predictable. I do Mother's Day, he does Father's Day. And then we got a bit of uh, an epiphany to say, actually, it means we both get a day off, you know, for that special day. I'm not sure that's quite working out the same as it is for me, as it is for you. But yes, we are here on Father's Day, and the message I want to bring today is around the lion and the lamb. Um, now, this is a message for all of us, but in particular, because it is Father's Day, I do want to speak into the men of the house and, and those that are look uh, watching online. But I want to say, actually, we're going to go into uh, Jewish culture, go back and, and look into when they deemed a boy to become a man. And so if you are of the age of 12, you're sitting with your parents or maybe you're in youth, this actually is for you as well. So any young man or boy from the age of 12 upwards, we are speaking into you uh, today. So we've got a bit of an animal theme. Uh, I'm going to start off with a little game. It's not too taxing, don't worry, you don't have to get up off your seats. Uh, you may have done this before and certainly any of you uh, have been in some team building exercise, you will have asked to do this as a bit of an icebreaker. And the question is, if you were an animal, what would you be? If you were an animal, what would you be? Now often, and, and um, I've done this with training courses, these are kind of the traditional ones that people come out with. Um, you know, lots of people cite dolphins because they love to be able to, you know, swim in the ocean. And dolphins have got, they just look like they're smiling and happy all the time. Um, birds, I'd like it to be a bird, it means I could fly south for the winter and a warmer climates, but I'd be free. And then you've got the little kid and cat, you know, a domesticated cat there. Uh, they can sleep for up to 16 hours a day. They have servants that wait on them hand and foot. Although a lot of people say, Oh, I'd like to be an owl. An owl, an owl is very wise. An owl is all knowing. Yes, we'd like to be an owl. Um, but I wonder, actually, for the next image, um, how many of you might have chosen differently, whether you're a male or female? And I'm going to put the image of the lion up to start with. Ooh. Lion. How many men in the room will go, Yes, Louise, I am the lion. I am strong. I'm courageous. Yet yeah, Dave. I'm fierce. Lions are winners, aren't they? They are literally the top of the food chain. In fact, Proverbs 30.30 30 says, they are mighty among beasts. They retreat before nothing. And I have had the privilege, a number of years ago, I booked a holiday. I went on safari in Kenya. I've seen lions relatively up close, you know, for the safety of the truck that I was in. And um, they are magnificent creatures. And what I couldn't get over, was especially the male lions, the size of them. I mean, literally their paws... Are like the size, like the expanse of these two, my two hands. They are huge. And then when one of them opens up their, their jaws, the expanse of their jaws, um, I think it's only Idris Elba that can come toe-to-toe with a lion and win. It's a bit of a nod for a recent film that he's been in actually titled The Beast. Um, but lions are magnificent creatures. They are fierce. They are hunters. How about this image, the next image that's coming up? Oh, it's a little lamb. It's a cute little lamb. Mary had a little lamb and its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, yeah, we used to sing nursery rhymes about lambs. Lambs are cute, they're cuddly, they're vulnerable, they're reliant on others, they're dependable. They're a bit weak at times, aren't they? And let's face it, if the lion is the winner, the lamb's the loser because we eat lambs. And if they ever grow up to be, you know, older than a little lamb, they go into sheep. And let's face it, we know that sheep are dumb. So I'm not sure how many of you would go, yeah, I'm a lamb, Louise. How many men in the house? Yeah, I'm gonna be a lamb. That's me. I identify with a lamb. But in reality, as people of God, we should want to be both. We should actually identify with both. Because Jesus, as we know, has referred to as both the lion and the lamb. But in the biblical context, the lion is actually symbolises the authority, the strength, the sovereignty and power and courage of Christ. And so the lion is the power of Christ as our eternal king. But then the lamb, in the biblical context, is actually the willingness of Jesus to submit into God's will, to lay down his life and become the ultimate sacrifice. So the lamb, therefore, we find the grace of Jesus as our eternal saviour. So Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. He has dual roles. He has dual attributes and virtues. He is all powerful. So he's the reigning, isn't he? King of kings. He is on the throne. There is a throne and it is not empty. The grave is empty, but the throne is not. And he is all merciful. He is the sacrificial lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And I want to explore this paradox, because in essence, we could say, well, Jesus, that's a bit of a, you're a walking contradiction. How can you be both? And particularly for men, men knowing, well, oh, how can I be a true man of God? What's the biblical example? How can I take this example and guide my life and understand how actually how God intended me to live out? You see, often when I'm speaking to women... We acknowledge, don't we, that women, we are vulnerable. There are certain threats and challenges of our life, and particularly I walk in freedoms in in this country that women, sadly, around the globe do not. But I want to say to men, you are not exempt. There are threats and there are challenges, and you are, I believe, under attack yourselves. Particularly in this country, I was staggered in in my job. I work in HR um, and particularly I I work um, around sort of wellbeing and inclusion. Do you know the Office of National Statistics released this staggering and and quite troubling um, stats? It said in England, do you know what the biggest killer and cause of death in our men under the age of 50? It's not road traffic accidents. It's not substance or, you know, like drug or alcohol abuse. It's not even knife crime. It's suicide. And do you know what? Three quarters of all the recorded deaths from suicide are men. And in particular, I think this is really pertinent for our demographic, do you know the biggest ethnic group that are likely to commit suicide in our men is white men, followed by mixed ethnic groups. And when I read that, I don't know about you, not only does it trouble me, but I get a real sense there's hopelessness and despair Our men must be being battered and bruised by life. Our men are hurting and they are in pain. And the fact that they think this is the only option. More than ever, men need God. Men need Jesus. And the reality is often in churches, women make up a majority of a congregation. But now more than ever, I think men need to turn to God. To understand, to define actually first and foremost who they are and ultimately to save them. The lion and the lamb actually shows all of us that we are incomplete, we are out of balance if we don't emulate both of those attributes. You see, too often in the world with men, we've seen too much of the lion, you know, too much of that power taken to the extreme. So we've seen abuse of power, we've seen aggression, intimidation, violence, controlling, overbearing, lots of more of the disciplinarian, if you like. And particularly with fathers, you often women, we get labelled, don't we, with the the caregivers, we're maternal. Men are the providers, they're the the disciplinarians. But often if it's acts taken too far, children fear their fathers. When I was writing this message, I uh, came across um, uh, a soundbite and it was a, a billionaire. I think he was an American billionaire, not a famous uh, person, he was in his late 70s, he was being interviewed and he was asked, you know, what do you deem by success? And you know, it's one of those that you kind of leaning because you, you want to know thinking, well, how would he define what success looks like? He's a billionaire, you know, latter part of his life. And this is what he responded with and I thought it was really pertinent for today's message. His response first and for- foremost was, as a father, so nothing about his business and his achievements, he went, as a father, that my adult children would want to spend time with me. I mean, that was quite profound, actually. And if I think about what the Bible talks to us as children, we are taught that we must obey and honour our parents. But you know what? The obeying part as children really is only when we're minors. You basically, when you're children and you're living under your parents' roof and you are minors, you're not an adult yet, you kind of have to be, you have to do what your parents tell you to do. And so, you know, if they ask you or tell you, no, we're having family time now, no, we're going to be doing this, we're going to be doing that, this is what we do as a family, you don't have much choice. But you see, as you get older... Particularly when you leave the family home, you become a fully-fledged adult. Maybe you go on to have your own children. You don't have to do what your father, your mother says anymore. But wouldn't it be great that out of honour, out of respect, the fact that you actually like the people that your parents are, you would want to spend time with them. You would make choices that would bring honour to that family. And so I thought that was really interesting that sometimes the reach is too far. There's too much power and discipline. And and some people, even as adults, can fear their fathers, can still be controlled, can still have that obeying mentality of their fathers. But think about then if you couple the too much lion with not enough lamb. There's no willingness then to sacrifice for others, laying down your own agenda to putting others first. There's not enough gentleness with how you handle people. In fact, you can end up breaking people. You lack compassion, there's no humility, and you're definitely not obedient. But then sometimes, and often I do feel for men now, you are, well, okay, then Well, I'll go the other way. And You're almost dialing up the lamb too much. Sometimes you're having too much lamb, but, and that's not your Sunday roast, by the way. It is, it is almost like then you become completely servile. Too compliant, you rarely take initiative and you're not then willing to step up to responsibility. We have men that don't want to become adults. They're almost like the Peter Pan's who do not want to grow up. They're quite happy to stay reliant and dependent on others, even when they're fully grown men. Just to bring context, this is not, I'm not giving men a hard time. When I spoke on Mother's Day last year, I did talk about Rebecca being the controlling and manipulative mother, didn't I, with Jacob and Esau, so just to get a little bit of balance there. But you can see how, actually, we could be out of balance if we go too one way and not the other. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack some of these attributes with the lamb And the lion. I'm going to start with the lamb first, and I'm hoping we can dispel some myths here. I'm hoping that maybe you weren't so drawn to the lamb, um, but after we go through this, you might start to see he might become more attractive to you. But hopefully, then the balance that the lion will bring. So, the lamb, well, let's start with the lamb because let's face it, Jesus first came to earth, didn't he, as a lamb? representing the perfect sacrifice that symbol of sacrifice that was often used for atonement of sins he represents innocence but he is the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sins once and forevermore so what you can take for the lamb is this and i'm going to rattle through a number of points only the lamb saves because of what he's done on the cross, nothing else. You can be as accomplished as you want. You can be self-sufficient. You can build your life. You try and fill it with other things. You can look to other people and you can build security in earthly ways. But there must be something then that that's not enough because only the lamb at the end will get to save. The lamb is also gentle and humble in heart. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is really clear. What does he say to you? If you are weary, if you are burdened, what does he say? You come to me because I will give you rest. And this is the type of rest that no amount of hanging out with your mates, watching your favourite programmes, playing your your favourite sport, the, the luxury holidays. No amount of that will give the same type of rest that Jesus gives. And if you've been handled badly, if you have been battered and bruised, you need to come to him because his yoke is different. He won't burden you in the same way that the world will. And the third one is, the lamb shows emotion. Do you know, actually, there's only really two recorded instances of Jesus being visibly moved, like crying. One, it's over Lazarus, his friend. And secondly, when he weeps over Jerusalem. You see, one's about a personal relationship. And one actually is about the love of his homeland, of his country. And so, men, you know what? It's not weak to be moved and to show emotion and passionate. You know, my late father, when he was alive, I think I only remember ever seeing him cry twice. Uh, One, uh, when his own brother died before him, my Uncle Martin. And secondly, when my mother, because she went before him when she died. And you know what? I didn't think my dad was weak. I didn't look down on my dad and think less of him. In, In many respects, my respect grew more for him because I knew how much he hurt. I knew how much he cared. So the lamb shows emotion. The next one is, contrary to how I've just pitched the lamb as being a little bit of a loser, the lamb actually is a winner because it's through the sacrifice of the lamb that won the greatest battle that there ever was. So he's indeed a winner. He's overturned the curse of sin and death. Number four, the lamb knows when to stay silent. You know, when he's taken before Pontius Pilate and he's accused and he's mocked and he's been sentenced. You know, come on, the natural instinct with all of us is to fend ourselves, to make others know about how, how dumb by we are, how wrong they are. But he stays completely silent. It says, like a lamb to the slaughter, a sheep silent before the, uh, the shearer. He didn't open his mouth. Silence, often at the right times, can speak volumes. Silence is, in fact, A strength. In fact, I don't know some of the women in the house. Sometimes, um, I don't know if it's been described to you, always the strong and silent type. You know, it can be a good virtue. And in fact, we have to be really careful that it's not always the loudest person in the room that has the most to say. The next one, and this is kind of in two parts, the lamb is obedient obedience is really hard, isn't it, when you're being asked to do something that you don't want to do. And particularly if it's God that's asking you to do something, you're like, it's not really what I had in mind. But you know what? What Jesus did was the greatest act of obedience that you and I will ever, ever see. And the challenge for us is, come on now, how, how obedient are we willing to be? Particularly if it involves sacrifice, it might cost us. And here's the really tricky one. Ever been obedient and done what God is asking you to do, but you suffer as a result? Often people think, well, if you am on God's will, then it's got to be fine and jolly, and it's got to be really easy to do. Not necessarily the case. And if we ever get to that point where we're trying to, you know, sometimes we might bargain with God. We might try to kind of explain to God, you don't really understand how hard this is. Are you really asking me? I want to take you back to the garden. When Jesus is on his hands and knees and he's praying, and it describes how he's in anguish, isn't he? And he's saying, no, okay, well, your will, God, not mine. So it wasn't necessarily an easy thing for him to do. And then not too far away, we have his group of disciples and the stark contrast. But um, so Jesus is about to go and be crucified and he's going to be obedient. They can't even follow a simple instruction that Jesus asked them to do. And what's that simple instruction? Can you just stay awake and pray? And I do think sometimes like that's not even on the same level We're like those disciples. That's almost how we can compare it. If we're trying to say to Jesus, really, it's so hard what you're asking me to do. Think of the reality of what he had to go through. So the lamb is obedient. And then the second part to this is, the lamb sees it through. He's the ultimate completer finisher. You see, there's no point being just obedient in part. You have to be obedient to the end. And thank goodness that he did. Because, you know, so many people, it's always really easy, isn't it, to honour commitments from the outset. It's always really easy to get enthusiastic at the beginning. But what happens when things start to get tough? Do you bail out? What happens when maybe you've got to be obedient a bit longer than what you really wanted to? It's, it's a marathon. It's not a, a sprint. Or maybe when something more exciting and new comes along, you're like, right, that's it. I don't want to do that anymore. I want, I'm going to go and follow and chase after that. The lamb sees it through the lamb is also isn't he perfect he's without defect but it's not about appreciate us being perfect but we do have to be honest with ourselves we do have to clean up our acts we do have to get rid of sin but intentionally live out a righteous life jesus is that standard he is the benchmark and so maybe for some of us we need to break some habits there's thought patterns that need to go behavior that needs to stop Maybe even there's some things that we might need to start. Maybe the first of July, coming out to a collective prayer meeting, maybe that's one of the first things that you can start doing. The next one, Lamb, the Lamb is worthy. I know we've sung that, but actually it's from the scripture in the in the 12th verse of this scripture, it talks about how worthy is the lamb that sacrificed for us. Who gets the honor? Who gets the praise? because of what he has done. And that's why we as Renewal, we'll say it and we'll keep saying it, we exist to lift up the name of Jesus, not ourselves, but him. And that's why he was the only one that was worthy to open up the scroll. But when we become his children, when we accept him into our lives, because he's worthy in what he's done, it means that we are worthy. So our lives are not worthless. In fact, they're so, so precious. And your situation is not homeless. Homeless? Hopeless hopeless. Um, The next one, the lamb is standing. Shortly after that, you'll see in the scriptures, what does it tell us? The lamb is indeed standing. Now, his wounds are visible, so that's why we should never forget what he's done. But it's talking about it in a past tense. He's not the victim here. He's standing. He is overcome. Remember, the grave is empty. The throne's not. And then the final one here, the lamb actually gets to tell us when it's finished. He gets the final say. So he gets to tell you when it's time to go. He gets to have the final say about your life. He tells us when it's finished. And so if the lamb is the first part of the victory, if you like, the lion then is the last because we're told, aren't we, that he's to return as that triumphant lion, as the rightful ruler and conqueror. But here's the thing. Christ the lion is only victorious because of what Christ the Lamb has already done. So you can't have the triumphant, conquering lion without the sacrificial lamb. So if you want to win in life, if you want success, if you're going, well, how can I really overcome some of the things in my life? You've got to get balance. You've got to unlock the first part. You've got to look to the sacrificial lamb. So why the importance of a lion then? Well, actually, in the Old Testament, they very much were a symbol of rulership, of kings, and royal authority. And we know with royal authority, there comes in, back in those days, came an element of power. Lions were thought of destroyers, and very much still are today. But you think about Daniel was thrown, wasn't it, in a lion's uh, den. And people would hunt them to demonstrate how powerful they were. Jesus... We see in that Revelation scripture is described as the lion but from the tribe of Judah. Do you know the lion was actually the ancient symbol of the tribe of Judah. So this is a symbolic name given to Jesus. But Jesus's human lineage comes from the tribe of Judah. And he's a descendant of King David. And if you were to go to Matthew's Gospel, the very first book, there's a huge paragraph there that talks through, I think it's about 42 generations from Abraham right through to Jesus. We know that Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. He then goes on to have a son called Isaac. Isaac then has a a son called Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons and they would go on to lead the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, on his deathbed, Jacob wants to bring all his sons forward, and he wants to bless them, and he wants to talk into their future. Now, the first three sons, and you can read about this in Genesis 49, they've been naughty, they've not behaved well, and so he speaks particular things over their life. But it's his fourth son, Judah, which, by the way, means praise, he brings forth, and because of his character and his behaviour, um, he bestows a particular blessing on him. And he's referred to as the lion's Cub. Go away and read about this. But it's this fourth son, and it's this line, the line from Judah, that we get David, who then becomes king. So David is, in fact, a direct descendant of Judah, of that Israelite tribe. And then through that, you'll go on to get Jesus eventually, which means that Jesus is a direct descendant of the house of David. That's why in this scripture in Revelation, not only is he mentioned as the line of the tribe of Judah, He's the root, it says, of David. So Jesus is both Jewish in origin. He comes from that tribe of Judah, that Israelite tribe, but he's also in the line of a line of kings. That's why he's referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So what we can take from the lion is this: The lion will deliver, because actually the lion's role eventually is to lead us into battle and finally destroy Satan. The lion, therefore, will confirm... Well, it confirms our future. He confirms the promise that's already been made. God's going to win. Do you think that we could potentially think on that a bit more as we go out our daily lives? Imagine if we walked into a situation or a battle, let's say, or start a race, maybe knowing that we'd win. No matter how it looked, no matter how long it was, do you not think that we should be approaching things differently now? Do you not think we should have more confidence and boldness? In fact, the Bible tells us that the righteous are as bold as a lion. And I'm not sure, and I know in my own life, whether I actually approach things like that. Sometimes I forget, because we focus too much sometimes on how things look. You know, a number of years ago, there was a telephone uh, network, I think it was Orange, that said, the future's bright, the future's orange. Well, the future's bright for us. And guess what? Each one of us will get promoted. When we finish this life, we're going to get promoted. That is a promise that I want to be part of. The third one is, the lion will not retreat. We know this, we've told this, but he knows that who he is, and so we shouldn't retreat either. It's time for us to make a stand. We need to stop letting the enemy take ground in our life. And I wonder sometimes, and I know it's hard now, and we are bit by bit, it feels like, isn't it, where our rights have been taken away from us. We've allowed society, maybe the enemy, to defang us, to suppress that roar for us to forget on who we truly are. And so therefore the lion will not retreat, but the lion knows what battle to fight. And he knows how to fight knowing that he will win. You see, sadly, too often in society, men in particular, you're pulled into fighting for the wrong things in the wrong way. You need to remember, David took a stone to a sword fight. We need to stop playing by the enemy's rules. The enemy's going to drag you in, He's going to set you up to fail and he's going to try and destroy you and ruin you. You've got to stop playing by the enemy's rules. But you know what, men, it is okay to fight because you're actually called to do so. Paul tells Timothy, there is a certain fight that we should be fighting for. It's called the good fight and it's a good fight of faith. You might think, well, why would I need to fight for my faith? Well, Paul's trying to eloquently tell Timothy, listen, when you become a Christian, and this is pertinent for all of us today, there is a struggle and a battle going on. And if you say, well, Louise, I don't, I'm not really a fighter. Tough, you're already in a battle. In fact, you were already in a battle before you even gave your heart to Jesus. There is going to be a battle and a struggle for you with the world, with yourselves. Often we're the ones that take ourselves out. And also with the enemy. There's going to be opposition. So you're going to need to get prepared, equipped you're going to need to start to be in training, but you see, not like how the world would do it. In fact, Timothy, um, in Timothy, Paul says to him, "Listen, you know that physical training. Often we refer to that. You would need to get your strength, wouldn't you? Build up your muscles. Mm, that's got some value. You know, that's fine. But it's the godliness that has value for all things, not just in this life, but in the life to come. It's a different type of fight." So, you've got to prepare and equip yourselves and train yourselves differently. Now, absolutely, we mustn't neglect looking after ourselves. This is, you know, we're only in this one body. Um, And particularly for men, I know it's good not only for your physical health, mental health as well. But the Bible also tells us this, this is wasting away, isn't it? It's a carcass. uh, But hopefully, inside, it's the bit that should be renewed day by day. And so, really, it's the spiritual training that will pay far more dividends. I'm going to give you an example now, and I do apologise to the women in the room, um, but it's really hard when you are married to someone that loves football, that you just, you know, you absorb some of the facts, you absorb things. But what I was really struck by recently, modern day uh, footballers, that in their training, um, they do obviously their ball skills, etc., and their weights and their cardio. But a number of the modern day footballers now are starting to introduce Pilates or yoga into their... Uh, and I'm not endorsing any of that, but Go with me on the the example. Because here's the thing, what they recognise. There is power for them building core strength, different types of muscles or sort of lean muscles. That has on their performance. It enhances their performance. And not only that, the building of the flexibility and the suppleness helps them prevent injury. So I want to ask the men in the house today, no matter how you might look and how together you are and what you're building on the outside, if I was to open you up, what's inside Is there a core inner still strength that you've been building up through your spiritual training? Paul also urges Timothy, not only have we got to fight this good fight of faith, but you need to pursue it, follow it, chase after it. Not all the other things that people will tell you need to do that appear to be more exciting, that will only, let's face it, trap you, cause you to want different things that lead to and destruction. And if any of you have been Christians for a number of years, come on, we've seen a number of people that have completely wandered from their faith. But it only leads to wreck and ruin, or it, and the Bible describes it as grief. I've said to Ava, and we're, we're training, trying to train her up in the way to go, and I've said, listen, you make your own choices, but I tell you this now, no one is better off without God. In the end, no one is better off without God. And so the lion is the powerful to the Lamb's merciful. But think on this. Imagine if somebody has all the power, you know, the power to really destroy others, to take someone out, to overpower, to crush people, take advantage, but they choose not to do that. That's real power. That's where strength lies. Because you know what? What we take from the lion is, the lion is someone that knows how to wield his power, but in the right way and so it is actually a strength for somebody with all the power to destroy not to use that power in that way but to stand up and fight against evil against injustice and wrongdoing and to use that power to change things for the better particularly for other people think about that male line I know when I went and I was in Kenya around protecting their pride guarding and protecting it against predators do that. Emulate Jesus as you're doing so. That's the right fight, but also in the right way. And then the final one with the lion is, you know what? The lion absolutely knows who he is. He walks in his God-given authority. He is bold. He is fearless. He's not scared to roar. He is the lion of Judah. And he is exercising his righteousness, his justice. And let's face it, he will and must punish sin and evil And so we need to ask ourselves, do we really know who we are? Do we know both of those attributes of Jesus? Because he shows us that to truly follow him, to understand him, to know who he is, and therefore who we are, we must embrace both of those attributes and the roles, the first and the last. And so men, you are called to have godly characters, to be strong, courageous, and fearless to walk in that God-given authority, to know who you really are. I mean, I'm talking the true identity of a man. Please don't be discouraged by what you're going through in the present or even indeed the future that is unknown. There's no need for you to be overwhelmed by this life, to think you are defeated, be troubled. As it says to John, weep no more because guess what? There is someone far worthy who has come before, who overcome, who has conquered on your behalf and made a way. But equally so, you are also called as men to be gentle, to be sensitive and compassionate, merciful, loving others, emotion. Be committed. Can you be a man that can be trusted at his word, to be faithful, willing to lay down your life? And then you will make the right choices and you will rightly choose to fight the good fight. This one of faith, pursue it. Protect it. I mean, guard it at all costs because you know what? It is so, so precious. That's what will endure. And ultimately, that's what's going to save your life. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to ask if uh, the men of the house, if you wouldn't mind standing, if you're able to. And I'm going to include, if, remember if you're age 12 and upwards, this includes you. I'm going to ask your senior pastor to come and pray over you now. I really want us to, um, just before you, know that we're with you and to honour you. And women that are around them, if, you could, if you're comfortable doing so, just stretch out your hand to a man that's, that's near you. And uh, I'm going to ask Johnny to pray over you.